So those of you who are last week, last week we covered the first section of this Romans 14. And the, the gist, if you didn't watch it, didn't hear it, last week was, do not let rules get in the way of the gospel. You think, that sounds a little off. Don't let rules get in the way of the gospel. What do I mean by rules? Do I mean the Ten Commandments and God's moral standard by which he has governed this world from the beginning of time? Because Galatians says the law is a tutor that leads us to Christ. So what I mean, just throw that law out of there, throw those rules out of there? Absolutely not. The moral law, the Ten Commandments, the laws that pertain to how we treat others and how we treat and view God are still intact. And those are what lead us to Christ. Because we look at them and we think, huh, I'm not quite matching up. We hear things like, don't murder, and then Jesus cranks it up and says, if you've ever hated someone in your heart, you've committed murder. Don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. And all those rules are still in place, and those rules are the ones that we stand before and say, I am never going to live up. I want Jesus instead. I trust that Jesus did it better than I could. I trust Jesus. Those rules are fine. What we talked about last week are the rules that once you get into a churchy type environment, people start to add into and make it the gospel truth with all those others. We talked about how you raise your kids. Should you have a natural delivery? Should you have C-section? Should you do it without drugs? Should you use drugs? The Bible doesn't talk to any of those. You walk in here and you love epidurals, God bless you. My wife would have one right now if they would give it to her. How you rear your children. Are you going to homeschool? Are you in private school? Are you in charter school? Are you going to, how are you going to go about that? That is not tied to the gospel. That's not tied to the absolutes here in the scriptures. How are you going to do worship as a church? We choose to have a band led by Brazelton. If we scratch this and got out some beats and stuff, would that still be okay? And last week we said yes. Because we don't let all these extra rules come into the church and start to pollute the gospel of Jesus. The gospel is the good news that God is perfect in holiness. I am not. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, I now trust in, and now I am holy in God's sight. Anything else that we can add to that, we said last week, keep it out of here. All the way out of here, like don't even believe that? No, we said, you come to your own convictions... If you want to be that type of mom that delivers naturally, Godspeed. If you want some pain relief, take this. If you want to raise your kids homeschool, Godspeed. If you want to put them in public school, the Satan's realm, go for it. <laughs> we all have these opinions, and that's all they are, that get lumped into how we view God and how we view salvation and how we view church, and they start to become absolutes. And last week we said, don't let those rules get in the way of the gospel. And then this week is part two, and it's don't let your freedoms now get in the way of the gospel. Because last week I had lots of good feedback. I talked to a lot of different people about what they're wrestling through with their own freedoms and how they view freedoms. And if you give people too much freedom, don't you think they might X, Y, Z, fill in the blank? Don't you think you need to have some restrictions as a church over your media? Is pornography really the only thing that's off limits? Shouldn't you? We, we all have these things that start to come in as opinions and they start to be formed into absolutes. And Paul says, 
Believe what you want to believe as long as you're convinced you're not sinning and you're on in Christ. This week now is now that we all have these freedoms, because some of you went out last Sunday and had mimosas all afternoon and smoked cigars all evening and smoked a cigarette and did whatever else that in your mind is now a freedom in Christ. Paul says, hold up. Let me just read how he starts his argument here in Romans 14. Look at verse 13. Paul says this. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of the brother. The wording here is very interesting. Last week was all about judging others. Don't judge, but welcome. This week he says, don't pass judgment. Instead, that, he says, decide never. That word decide is the same word judge. So essentially, Paul says last week, you welcome people in, you don't judge them. This week he says, you don't freely welcome all your freedoms before you judge them and sift them through the lens of the gospel and what's best for people who don't, know yet, don't yet know the gospel and those who may be weaker in the gospel. You tracking with that? So last week was, you welcome, great party, let's go drink, do whatever, ladies go get your plastic surgery, let's have a party. This week was, but... Before you go out using your freedoms, know that your freedoms cause reactions in people. And your freedoms do stuff to people. And you're not living in a vacuum. So you need to sift through how you think about this. And the answer is very simple. I think through all the areas of life where there's some strife maybe with us. Within your family, maybe your neighborhood, maybe your HOA, maybe your, your cubicle mates. And if I was to ask you, what's the solution to the situation you're dealing with right now? A lot of us would jump to rules that other people need to abide by. Well, my wife needs to stop being such a... And my husband needs to be a little more patient and proactive and not so lazy. And my neighbor needs to pull his weeds. And this person needs to do this. And this person needs to spend their... And God says, here's the answer to all human problems. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Take all those thoughts you have about yourself and now apply that same sort of zeal towards others. And that's what Paul's going to camp out on here. Now that you've got these freedoms, God bless you. I'm glad that we can have people from various backgrounds who enjoy various freedoms and we can all worship the same Jesus. But before you go out there, stop and judge yourself. Got it? Here's where we're going to break it off. Just to make it kind of easy to follow, he kind of goes through three sections. Here's what our, we're going to evaluate this week as we stop and kind of do an eternal assessment and judgment. We're going to talk about the do's and don'ts in our freedom within the family in Christ. So as we look to our brothers and sisters in the room, in our redemption communities, in our families, in our women's Tuesday group, whatever it is, what are the do's and don'ts that should shape those actions? Next, we're going to look at the specific freedoms you now have in Christ. You are free to drink. You are free to, you are free to, you are free to fill in the blanks with whatever, no matter how controversial you may think it be, if it's not in here, God hasn't spoke to it, but how do we kind of shape our use of those freedoms? What are the do's and don'ts? And then finally, this is huge, how does all this kind of shape and inform our faith in Christ? So as we go out and try to evaluate how our freedoms are being played out in the lives of others, what does it mean for our brothers and sisters in the room? What does it mean for actual freedoms? 
How should we go about evaluating that? And what does it mean for our faith, finally? So this is a good passage. It's a little heavier than last week. Last week was kind of fun. I enjoyed it. This week, Paul gets into some big stuff like the souls of other human beings that you may be harming. So last week was a nice, easy intro into the, the gray areas of life. This week is now that you're in those gray areas, not the black and whites, sin is still sin. Marriage is between a man and a woman. I don't care what Arizona just said. How a man and a woman now spend their income is between that man and woman. Keep the marriage bed undefiled. You guys living together who aren't married, God speaks to that. Once you get married and what you want to do within that bedroom, God gives you a lot of freedom. See what I'm saying? Black and white, God speaks to. If you don't know if what you're doing is a sin, ask someone and read the Bible and we'll figure that out. Most of these things we're talking about dealing with are gray areas, meaning you could go either way and be perfectly fine. And that's what Paul's talking about. Now that we're in this area of freedom, and we're actually utilizing our freedoms, and some of you are drinking, and some of you are smoking, and some of you are listening to that music, and some of you are watching rated R movies, and some of you are doing this, how do we kind of think through our freedom so that the gospel, the gospel, the gospel is not lost? So let's jump into how do we view and act towards our family in Christ. Paul gives basically three things that can be done with using your freedoms incorrectly. So verse 13, let's read this again. Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. So Paul starts very simple. Your life should never be lived in such a way to where what you are doing is going to create someone else to sin or the hindrance is they're walking along their Christian life and they have to kind of dance around what you've put in front of them so that in their heart they don't sin against the Lord. Now, what does that shape out as in our life? I don't know. But I know it means the thoughts you take towards others need to be intentional, non-Christian or Christian alike. How many of you guys have that all of life is all for Jesus shirt we sell, some of you? So I think through where I wear that when I'm dealing with non-Christians. I went to lunch with this atheistic guy who just has no part. I didn't wear it. Am I free to wear whatever I want? Absolutely. But I just stopped and thought, I don't want this to be a stumbling block between this guy and me as we're building relationships. So I'll wear the usual. I'll go plaid. <laughs> as you all have called me out on. But as you're going about, is your life putting stumbling blocks in the way of others? I'm on Facebook as of pretty recently, and I keep seeing this thing. Which 80 sitcom star are you? Which college basketball team are you? And you do these like personality tests, and it comes out, you're Spider-Man, and you're da-da-da. The question Paul's asking here is, which stumbling block or hindrance are you in the lives of others? I know for me... A lot of my Christian life is spent just being arrogant towards kind of the traditional, old school, high church type people. A lot of you in the room like that. You dress better than me when you come to church because you're honoring Christ in your own mind. You like a little quieter music set because in your mind that's the best way for you to honor Christ. And I would dig at you, maybe not to your face, but I would run you into the ground. And if you were to act on what I was calling you out on, that would be a sin to you because that's not how you honor Christ the best way you can. So what stumbling block are you? Are you marked by drinking? Is that kind of what 
Is drinking wrong? No. Smoking? Ladies, you got to think through looks a lot more than guys do. I know that doesn't seem fair, but it is. Good or bad? I look way too good today. I look, I look way too whatever it is. You've got to think through what you're doing to men around you. You've got to think through what you may be doing to women around you. I know that's not fair, but that's just reality. And Paul's saying that's a loving thing to do. That's not being superficial, and that's just thinking through, okay, I do not want to trip people up on their way to Jesus. Whether they're not Christians yet and they're going to meet Jesus, or whether they're Christians and they're striving hard to please Jesus. You don't put stumbling blocks in their way. Paul kind of ratches it up here as we move along. Verse 14 says, basically the argument that shapes all of this. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Again, he's just saying somebody in this room could drink and some of this person could abstain and both of them could be in sin, doing exactly opposite things. If your conscience tells you that alcohol is tied to paganistic, evil, irreligious things, then you avoid. Otherwise, you're in sin. What's he say we would do to a brother as we start to put these stumbling blocks where they fall because of us? Verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Paul says you could also grieve your brother. You could bring deep sadness and hurt and pain and shame to your brother over a steak, over a Guinness. You get the trivialness of all that? That's, that's your brother, and you care more about how much barbecue sauce you have on your ribs next to your beer than your brother. Don't grieve them. Now, how does this shape itself out? It is very individual, very circumstantial, very much a heart issue that you've got to learn to shepherd yourself through and your family through. We don't ever want to be a stumbling block. We don't ever want to cause someone to sin and grieve them. And then finally, Paul says this. What do we don't do to our brothers? The uh, middle of verse 15 there. He says, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. That word destroy is the same word used for hell when Jesus talks about people being destroyed in hell. So Paul just starts with the stuff. Oh, you just made them trip. Not only did you make them trip, now they're crying. Not only are they crying, they're destroyed. Their soul is in deep anguish. Does that mean you could take a Christian who is headed down the right path, following Jesus, secure in his faith, and do something so horrible that he loses his salvation, and now he's bound towards hell? Absolutely not. Too many scriptures speak to the fact that Jesus never lets go of us. I think what it's getting at, though, is there's a... There's a spiritual blessing to being a Christian. There's some spiritual happiness and joy that you can really start to punch at as you start to cause sin in your brother and your sister's life. And you don't destroy their spiritual well-being. My wife was reading a book about parenting one time, and she was just kind of stopped dead in her tracks. I said, well, what's it say? It says, your child is a soul. Do you parent through that lens? The guy, the girl, the kids in your row are souls. 
Do you function amongst your freedoms with that mindset? Now, here's what's hard. That requires you actually knowing some people. Which, ah, I'd sign up for Christianity to know some people. You got to know some people. You got to be involved in lives. You got to get messy. One of my favorite Proverbs we're going to paint on the wall in our house soon. I don't know if my wife knows, but she will soon. It says, where there's no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of an ox. And I always took that to mean if you want to do anything worthwhile in this life, anything substantial in Christian life, in, in your job, in anything, it's going to require you getting messy, getting dirty, especially when people are involved. Uh, I pass. I'd rather learn about Jesus with my books in my room by myself. You learn about Jesus by acting like Jesus and screwing it up and then being reminded that Jesus still loves you. Amen? Don't destroy your brother over at stake or a beer, over plastic surgery, over how you parent your kids, over what sort of service we should do, over any of that. Side note, we've got lots of LDS people outside in our neighborhood. They have a lot of restrictions as they get saved and come into our doors that we're going to have to be aware of, right? Ladies dress a little differently in the LDS group than us. Do we just welcome them in say, to heck with that restriction. I am free to wear what I want and flaunt it how I want it. No, you stop and you think through your freedoms and what they're doing to others. A lot of Muslims coming to Arizona. Lots. You guys have a pet in your house, a dog? Raise your hand. Hands down. You might be offensive towards a lot of Muslims because those are seen as unclean. Are you willing to get rid of Fido for a Muslim who gets saved? Oh, no. You're stepping on some toes there, Watt. But that's what we wrestle through is... What is my brother need for me in this circumstance? Does he need me to be enjoying my freedoms in a way that causes him grief? Probably not. Like I said, this is a little heavier than last week, but I think it's good because last week was just a great reminder of the joy we have in Christ. This week's a good reminder that our ultimate joy is in heaven. We can kind of abstain a little from here to here before I meet him again. All the time, absolutely not. But as circumstances Ask me to lay aside my freedoms for the sake of my brother. I will. Um, just one thing in this. I met with a guy and he was talking through, okay, I, the media thing I get, we have freedom. But like, I'm still struggling. Where's the line? Are you saying like pornography is the only thing off limits for me? And it's a great question and he's wrestling through it well. Here's what I'd say. You really need to think through how your actions influence two specific people. One, the people in your life who you have influence over. Parents, you have kids. Stronger Christians in the room, RC leaders, you have people who look up to you and how you function in these freedoms. How, are you, how is your influence impacting people for good or for bad? The, the health of their soul, their spiritual happiness, you might say. By you. And not to like go off topic, but I was listening to a radio thing with a family pastor who does a lot of stuff all over the world. They said, what's the number one issue in the American home? He said, pornography. 
So I'd say this, men and women who run homes and who create free areas of freedom, that's fine, but think through the stumbling blocks and the hindrances and the grief that you may be causing to the people that come under your influence based off the culture you're creating and how you think through this. You don't just run into pornography overnight. You get desensitized. And you get trained to think, this is just kind of how life works. This is kind of how guys are supposed to act. This is kind of how I'm supposed to view stuff. Think through your stumbling blocks. You stop and you pray. You think. And the ultimate prayer at the, at the forefront of your mind is the good of your brother, your son, your child, whoever it is. Not your own entertainment in your big full belly is essentially what we're saying in this passage. What should we be doing instead of this? Paul says, do love your brother through sacrificing. Where do I get that from? 15, he says, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. So what's his point? Walking in love sometimes means you abstain from whatever it is. I'd love to just go to every instance that you may be wrestling through and say, here's the answer. But that's your job. Because it's your job to love that person. And part of loving that person is the process of thinking through this well on your own. Do you need to abstain in this area? RCs. Do you need to abstain from how you function some nights? Are you too loose with alcohol? Or Again, there could be so many arenas where this plays itself out. How you're raising your kids. Think about the weakest person in the room, the person farthest away from God, and start to move towards them by how you use your freedoms. We good? Let's move on. Let's get to, well, can I do anything fun? You just told me I shouldn't eat or drink or basically you contradicted what you said last week. <laughs> you jerk. No, so that's how we view our family in Christ. How do we function as a church Guys and gals who are loving Jesus together. Now, how do we function amongst our freedoms, within our freedoms? How do we view kind of our freedoms? And here's what I'd say. Let's jump to verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 16. Paul just lays it out there. Regarding your freedoms now, again, he's still not pulling the plug on freedoms. They're still out there and completely accessible to anyone in the room. But, verse 16 says this, Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. So what's the don't in this? Don't use your freedoms in such a way that your witness is hurt. Where do I get this? Paul kind of says, here's the main point, Christians. Verse 17, let's read this. Well, if it's not about my freedoms and my full belly and my appetite for beer and my appetite for makeup and being the prettiest girl in the room and da 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 verse 17 for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit Paul lays it out we are trying to bring people into the kingdom of God which is about righteousness and peace and joy people who are outside of the kingdom of God some of you in this room right now who aren't Christians it's about righteousness and peace and joy Explain righteousness. You don't have a righteousness on your own. Stack up all your good deeds for your entire life, and Jesus will look at them and say, no bueno, not good enough. Matter of fact, filthy rags. 
2 Corinthians says, He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our half that we might become the righteousness of Christ. So the kingdom of God is getting people to accept Jesus as their substitute and gain righteousness. So you filter all of your freedoms through that lens. I'm trying to bring people into the righteousness of Christ. I can set this beer aside for a bit. I can set my parenting opinions aside for a bit. I can set my church tradition aside for a bit because it's about a righteousness this person doesn't have yet. And I want them to have it. And Jesus is the only way they get it. It's about peace. Romans, we read in Romans 5, you've been justified by God. Now you have peace with God. Not only do you become perfect in God's eyes. I am perfect in God's eyes. That is nuts. Now I have peace with God. I am 100% at peace with my heavenly father. Non-Christians in the room, you don't have either of those yet. And finally, it's about joy. The kingdom of God is about joy. Jesus says he came to give us life and life more abundantly. King David in the Psalms says, in your presence, God, is fullness of joy. Those things are what we want people to have. Eating and drinking falls down the list of priorities when you view everything through that lens. There's a great example of this. Apostle Paul is going out and starting churches all over this new world. He has complete freedom to enjoy anything he wants. And he is constantly restricting his freedoms for the sake of others. He takes one guy, Timothy, and one guy, Titus. Timothy, he forces to get circumcised. He was a grown man, and he said, you're going to get circumcised. Titus, he withheld. He says, I don't want you to get circumcised. You think, what? Because he was thinking through righteousness and joy and peace for people who don't know any of that yet. And Timothy was going to a bunch of older Stuck in their way, Jews. Timothy had some Jewish heritage to him. Paul did not want any stumbling block in the way. He did not want Timothy to be seen by the Jewish people as like a quasi-Jew, a half-Jew. So he said, let's do this thing. Go see Dr. So-and-so. Titus was going to a group of people who were trying to add more rules to everything. Paul said, we're going to a bunch of people who need to know about freedom. You abstain. You're not going to be a circumcised Jew. Two completely different things based off the circumstance. Because what was on Paul's mind was the kingdom of God and his witness before a watching world. That's it. That's what drove him. And what he's trying to say here is that's what should drive you. And the trial run for that, the testing ground for that, where you kind of play this out in a practice type way is within the church body. And if you can't give up a few freedoms here, there's no way you're going to go to a Muslim who would never come into your house because of your dog or because of the way your wife dresses out there. You restrain for the kingdom of God. Seems like opposite as last week. Not exactly. He's just kind of making you focus. Don't let rules get in the way, but also don't let your freedoms get in the way. Rules aren't the issue. Freedoms aren't the issue. Jesus is the issue. Righteousness, peace, and joy that only he brings. What does he want us to do with our freedoms then? So if we're not supposed to think of them as my right, no matter what the circumstance, what are we supposed to think of? Jump ahead to verse 22. And he says this about that very same faith that allows you to experience these freedoms without any guilt. He says that faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. So Paul says this, 
as you're looking at your freedoms and you're starting to make evaluations on yourself, don't do anything that's going to hurt your witness. That takes a lot of thought and a lot of sacrifice. But also, enjoy your faith as much as you can, especially when it's just between you and God. You can drink all you want until you go to Joe's house who really, really has an issue with that. You can talk as vibrantly and as passionately about how kids should be raised amongst that group where you know it's safe to talk like that. But as soon as you step out amongst single moms in our neighborhood who don't have the means to do all the parenting craziness that we do and are just trying to make it, you shut your mouth and you love them and you don't add these rules and talk about your freedoms in a way that just belittles people and keeps them far away. Get that? Have all the opinions you want. Keep it between you and God. Jesus, no, make him public. Sin, no, make it public. Salvation, make that public. Heaven, public. Hell, public. Homosexuality is wrong, make that public. All these other side gray issues, you enjoy them or not enjoy them as much as you can between you and your God. Enjoy them. Just don't let them become an issue. Jesus has humanity nailed. He knows we're always looking for loopholes. And what just is not fun about the Bible, as I go to try to justify myself, I never find a loophole that justifies myself in much of anything. Jesus is constantly refocusing me, reshaping me, retransforming me to think of others more highly than I ought to think of myself. And that's all this passage is trying to say. Live and let live last week, but as you live out your freedoms... Hit the brake a little. Slow down. Take it easy. Don't be so crazy. Keep your faith amongst yourself. The best picture I've ever seen of this was not in the area of sin. It was in the area of personal just conviction between a man and his God. It was a pastor of a huge church. He was doing a private little luncheon for a bunch of other pastors. He was talking and he was being recorded, he thought, and he said, hold up, am I being recorded? And they said, oh, no, this won't go public. He said, good, this better not. I don't want my church ever to hear this. And I thought, wow, what's the sin he's about to reveal? But he smokes a little, you know what, sometimes. I bet, he, I bet he watches that show that I've been hearing so much smut about. And he says, I never, ever, ever watch TV. Lame. <laughs> His point was this. My faith and my convictions, as they come outside of the black and whites of Scripture, I'm going to keep to myself as much as possible, especially as I have as much influence as I do. Because I don't want those gray area rules that I've imposed on myself to now be imposed on the conscience and the hearts and the souls of other people. That is a godly, wise man that we can learn from. Your, view, your personal view of holiness, your personal convictions that are kind of shaping your life, are you way more publicly holy than you are personally? The restrictions that you've put on yourself, do you start to make them so public so that everyone knows just where you stand on everything? Or do you have this deep abiding faith in Christ even when no one's watching? And you walk into a house with a television and you never turn it on because that's your conviction between you and God. And you don't go tweet about it how amazing you are because you just read Spurgeon for four hours because you weren't watching the football game. I saw, read a book by a pastor who said, I have given up golf. Golf is the biggest time waster. It's the worst thing for families. Golf is fine. 
That's your conviction. And we got to be a golf is woo. His point is, Paul's point is, you have lots of freedoms. You need to start to think about how you keep those to yourself, though, as they start to impose their will and their way and hurt and harm people in your life. Good or bad, we all have our own conscience that we need to be aware of, and we need to be sensitive to our own conscience. That being said, we also need to start to be aware of the others, other people in the room. So with our family in Christ, we love them and we don't try to trip them up. With our freedoms, we enjoy them in such a way that privately we have complete access. Publicly, we think through the lens of how it's going to affect our witness. And then finally, this passage ends on the little talk on faith that I think is just huge. So lastly, we're going to look at how does our faith play out in all of this. So jump down to verse 23. Paul ends with this. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because he is not eating from faith. So Paul's going to use this little bit to talk hugely about the idea of sin and faith and how we relate to God. He says if your conscience tells you something's wrong, even though everyone in the Christian community is certain it's a freedom, you go according to your conscience, otherwise you're in sin. Drinking is completely fine unless your heart tells you otherwise. Well, how much does your heart need to tell you? Listen to your conscience. You slow down and you think about what your conscience is telling you. Slow down, turn everything off, and listen to what your conscience is telling you, and you do it. Otherwise, you're in sin because your faith is not what's preceding everything at this point. The black and whites, we all have the same faith, meaning we all trust in the same things, the big truths of the gospel. These gray areas where our faith starts to kind of take a different shape. Some of your faith says it's much more honoring to Christ to have more of a high church type setting. As much as you can, live out that in your own life. Some of you think media, PG or worse, is the worst thing you could do for you or your relationship with Jesus. Then you watch G-rated Curious George until you die. Otherwise, you're in sin. Our faith is at the core of everything. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Non-Christian, what does that mean for you? You're not weak in faith. You have no faith. And if you don't have faith, the necessary requirement to not sin, all you can do is sin. That doesn't mean you're going to be a mass murderer, adulterer, horrible husband. I know plenty of guys who don't know Jesus, who are better with their wives, who treat their money far better than I do, who are more kind, more gracious, way better with their words. But none of that is coming from faith in Jesus. So here's where I want to wrap up. All of this, this, this chapter 14, which covered freedoms and how we use those, gets wrapped up with one big bow. And the question is faith. What is your faith telling you to do? Are you listening to your faith? Christian, I'd tell you this. This has been such a blessing for me to go through because it's reshaped how I view transformation and what Jesus is trying to do in my life. Here's what Jesus is doing in my life. He's walking me along this path. 
and I come to these checkpoints where I have a decision to make. Okay, Josh, are you going to tithe and give a little extra to Roots, or are you going to do all that yard work you really want to do? And I sit down, and I think through, okay, what am I going to do in this instance? And the me wants to fix my yard and redo my bathroom and all this other stuff, but my faith is telling me I want to trust God with my money far more than I trust myself. You act on your faith. Your faith. Your faith. Christian, we are no different than the non-Christian. Non-Christian, you have a decision to make right now. Where will you put your faith when it comes to your entire life? Will you put it in the life, death, the resurrection of Jesus? And by that, be saved and secure eternity with him forever? That's the decision you need to make right now. If not, you walk out of here like you came in with no faith. Christian, you walk in here and you're going to make tons of decisions this week. Should I homeschool? Should I public school? Should I get plastic surgery? Should I? And the core question in all of those is, where is your faith? If you get plastic surgery because you are such a people pleaser, you want man's adoration so much that you're going to alter how you look so that people look at you and think, gorgeous. As opposed to down at your core, your faith is in you are a child, a daughter of God. Can you still do that outside of that? Absolutely. But what is the core decision in your heart? Trust in what is most pleasing to Christ or trust in your way, your way, your way. That's the decision. We are all going to walk out of here and we're all going to make decisions throughout the week. Christian, non-Christian, what are you making your decisions based off? Faith? Or have you elevated yourself to the king of the universe and you make all decisions based off how you view the pros and cons? It says all those who want to live a godly life will be persecuted. God doesn't promise us ease and comfort. But we trust him because he's good and he proved it by coming to the cross. Amen? We have freedom. Amen, we can drink a little tonight if we want to. But if our faith and the faith of our brother starts to come into question, we refrain and we act out of faith and faith alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for making this path to you simple. Not easy, but simple. It's trust. Do I trust you? For the non-Christian in the room is, do I trust you and what you've said is the holy standard and the answer you've given, namely believing in Jesus Christ to be our substitute, is better than whatever answers I can come up with. And then for the Christians in the room, myself included, every question comes down to who do I trust in this moment? God, we're just saying we won't move without you. We won't move without you. You're the light of all. God, make us a people who do not move either into freedoms or new circumstances or new arenas of people without first trusting deep down in you and that it's the most pleasing thing for you. And God, at the same time, ease the conscience of some of the people in the room who still have restrictions that aren't biblical. What a sweet thing to have freedom in you. What a sweet thing to know you. And as we read your word, we understand that you are far better than we ever could have dreamed. You give us freedom. 
you don't give us license to hurt others with that. So God, help us. This is not easy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.